I'm Natalie. And I'm Alex. The purpose of this podcast is to inform and inspire instant film enthusiasts by updating you all with the latest in tips, techniques, and trends in the instant film world. And that's why we called it Passion Through Polaroids. Today's recording date is Sunday, November 1st. We hope you all had a very spooky and safe Halloween. Make sure to brush your teeth from all that sugar. We are going to be reviewing the final week of October. Today we will be discussing our recent visit to MIT Museum's The Polaroid Project exhibit. Super cool! During our Polaroid fact time, I'll be explaining why I predict that Disney will own Polaroid by 2040. By 2040? By 2040. You got facts to back up that opinion? I got facts and Jackson backs it up. Of course, we'll then wrap up the episode with our weekly Focus On segment, in which Alex and I share our current Polaroid projects and goals over the past week. Goals! But first, a quick shout out to our sponsor, who makes this podcast possible. This past week, the final week of October, was filled with a lot of frightfully scary photos, and we're sure that at this point, Many of you have heard enough about Halloween, and in fact, by the time you're listening to this, you're already in the month of November. Picture Mari talking turkey. <laughs> so we're going to go ahead and look forward to something new. Something we were really excited about coming across this week, for which we are very grateful to go along with that turkey, was MIT's Museum's The Polaroid Project, Part 2. This museum exhibit was originally opened Saturday, March 7th of this year. That long ago? That long ago. But we all know what happened in the month of March, and unfortunately the museum was forced to close its doors a week later. So nobody really got to see this awesome museum exhibit. But it did go live instead on the web back in September, and we just came across it due to some posts that both MIT Museum was posting on their Instagram page, as well as Polaroids. The online exhibit now allows visitors to explore different cameras, prototypes, experimental films, and original works of art. Just earlier today, I was speaking with Natalie about how I miss going to museums with her. It's a very important part of what we do and our inspiration. And it's just something we really look forward to, uh, to do on a day off. And it really replaced, uh, you know, partying or just going to the bar or something. The museum is really something to look forward to. So coming across this was really something that I personally did on Halloween as we were going on our haunted neighborhood visit to the Soden house and exploring the Black Dahlia murder and all of that spooky history. And I had just told her how... I missed going to museums because we were in Thai Town here in Los Angeles and there's a beautiful statue and we stopped and we were reading the plaque and that moment of awe and curiosity and wonder and we hadn't experienced in a while. You know, the universe works in cool ways. Natalie saw the post and here we are now sharing it with you. So I would highly recommend visiting the museum just based on emotional aspect of it and if you really miss going because they did a great, great job with the inside works, the designs, the art, the layout. I can only imagine 
how cool it even just smells inside of there, let alone looks and feels. So um, thank you, Polaroid, so much and MIT for curating all of this and putting it together. It is really something to behold. I know that we really used to enjoy going to museums for inspiration and for learning. And once the shutdown happened, that was a real bummer that we couldn't go visit all of these pieces. We were at the point where we were going if there was a new exhibit. Yeah, or even when they switched out the exhibits at our public library. Oh we yes, we know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is something we probably would have traveled to go see. Absolutely. So I mean, we could have gone, but then of course it shut down. So to have it now available online and we're still able to visit in a sense, I wouldn't normally say I'm a huge fan of visiting museums online. I've tried Nor to do it Even before, <laughs> yeah. when Natalie told me earlier, I give everything a fair chance, but I never get too excited, nor would I be. I imagine glitchy something or another. And But it was really user-friendly. The wing itself isn't really long, so it's not like you're looking at a huge museum. This is specifically an exhibit. It's a section of the museum dedicated to Polaroid. What was one of your favorite pieces inside the museum, honey? Ooh, I'm not sure. Did you have a favorite aspect of the museum? I think the the spectrum design was really, really cool as well. Um, just the way that you walk in is almost lobby-esque and then the two couches in the middle. And it's just a that broad spectrum rainbow across it. The 20 by 24 centerpiece in the middle was great. They have a combination of large portraits to small just scraps of paper blueprints to drawings to a cardboard cutout of it to a wood model of a camera. It really is just a, a vast array of items and before experiencing this online museum, the only other time I had seen Polaroid in a museum was in Phoenix and that was by Anibal Catalan Studio. There's a wonderful visual artist from Mexico. Their visual arts are just so structured yet chaotic. And we were at that museum in Phoenix, and there was a Polaroid featured by this artist. It was very, very fascinating to see that small little Polaroid in a museum. So to go from that and being in awe and shock of that, to a whole exhibit to a whole exhibit is something else one of my favorite aspects were the preserved cameras that they still have two of them in particular i really liked included the sun 600 ems camera so polaroid used to market specific careers almost to use polaroid so if you were documenting things for insurance purposes you might use a polaroid camera and oftentimes these different cameras simply had a different label on it so for example the one i really liked the ems camera it has a bright orange body with some blue details and it has the ems star of life logo up towards the top of the flash bar so it's clearly meant for you know a medical emergency person <laughs> But some of the other cameras apparently had a few different features. I'm not sure what they were, but I imagine things like the different dental cameras. But So to get to see all those really unique ones for particular professional niches, that's fascinating. 
but of course one of my favorites, I feel like it's a villain actually residing inside the museum, is the Kodak EK-4. Ooh. <laughs> Cue the Darth Vader music. Right? It's, oh, it's terrible in that it caused so much drama for Polaroid. Basically, in a nutshell, the Kodak EK-4 was Kodak's first and only instant camera. Later in the 90s, it was finally settled uh, that there was some copyright infringement going on there. Not copyright infringement, patent. So, but in the end, Kodak was able to pay off what they needed to do, and Polaroid had definitely suffered in the meantime. But Kodak had to pull all the cameras off of the shelves. They did. And they then could no longer sell any film for them. Nothing worked. Mm -hmm. It was really, really cool. Polaroid ended up having a huge win out of that. And Kodak ended up actually uh, telling the consumers that if they sent in their little Kodak plate, the little metal plate that uh -huh. is on the camera, that they would give them a refund for yeah. the camera. And that was the only way that they could. So it really is a rare find to be able to find a Kodak EK-4, and especially one that still has the label on it for mm -hmm. that particular reason. Although it is a villain, it was really cool to see it see him and to know the role that it played in Polaroid history, leading up to even the bankruptcy. And the fact that Polaroid is so badass and confident <laughs> to just say, yeah, you can be in our museum. It's got our guts in there. It's like it says Kodak on the outside, but it's all Polaroid on the inside. Some of you might be wondering, why MIT, of all places, to have a museum that would host a Polaroid exhibit? Do you know why this is, Alex? Ooh, I actually do. Please tell our audience. <laughs> it's a pretty cool fact. Well, the early research days of Land and his engineers occurred less than 200 yards from the MIT Museum. What? along the intersection of Osborne and Maine in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, that's where the original research labs were located. That is correct. And I believe in one of those same original buildings, that's where Alexander Graham Bell received the first telephone call. Bring, 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 bring. And in 2010, Polaroid donated 75 years worth of prototypes and artifacts to the museum. Oh no, this is just following the bankruptcy, because that was in 2008. Polaroid then donated all of these um, to the museum, and I believe it was because they were hoping to keep much of the collection together. Edwin Land himself also ran a small research group partnering with MIT once he had retired and left Polaroid. So there is a relationship between the MIT staff and Edward Land as well. Yep, so there's a lot of culture and history there, so we definitely recommend checking it out. The online exhibit will be available through the end of the year, so if you're not sure what to do New Year's Eve, you can log on and check it out for the last time. And a side note, we said that this was the Polaroid Project Part 2. They actually had the first part. It was up in the museum before COVID, and everyone got to go see that exhibit. But the reason why they had to split it into two parts was because the sensitivity of the photos on display. They couldn't keep up all the Polaroids, especially some of the older ones, that those were more sensitive to light. So they had to do it in two waves in order to best preserve the quality of the photos. I'm so silly. The power of interpretation is so funny. When you said it was split into two parts due to the sensitivity of the photos, I thought you were speaking of the 
breasts and other explicit material <laughs> that we did forget to mention. There are a couple tasteful uh, photographs in the museum, so if you are looking at it at home with children, um, be aware of that. We're all about it otherwise. We're but... all about it. So whether you like Chuck Close or Andy Warhol or Ansel Adams, or if you want to maybe see Pamela Anderson, you can check out the Polaroid Museum. Last week, we shared the details of Polaroid's hashtag Share Your Magic competition, in which participants were asked to submit a story in which they had been gifted a particular Polaroid camera, included with a photo of themselves in their camera, of course. The winner has yet to be announced! What?! Ugh. Submissions were due a week ago! But I'm guessing it's because it might take a while to read all those amazing stories. Yeah, if you read as slow as you. I do read slow, but you know what? I remember those details. She's like an elephant. Mm. I'm going to take that as a compliment and go with it. <laughs> we can read the winning stories this week, and we hope to share them with you next week. We hope so. Or, I guess I won't forget because I have the memory of an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Where in the world are some of our instant community members? Alex start with Bob. Do you know where Bob is? Picture man Bob! 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 Since his departure from LA last weekend, Bob has continued his instant film tour through the southwest region, and after a stop through the scenery of Sedona, I bet he saw some pretty beautiful sunsets over there. Oh yes, I know that like, he even saw some people like doing some crazy fun dance and he was like, why aren't I over there? I was like, why aren't you over there, Bob? Go join in that fun. He's a fun guy. He's a pretty fun guy. Not to be confused with mushroom. <laughs> fun guy. Hmm, I'm sure that's why they were dancing. <laughs> Bob also met up with Darrell, aka Darrell the Snail, who we also had the pleasure of interviewing in a previous episode. And they were in New Mexico. Darrell has such a skill for portraits. He really, really does. So it came as no surprise when we saw the immaculate portraits that the two had taken of each other. They were pretty cool. The moment that I saw Bob post the photos, like, I was like, this has to be with Darrell. He must be with Darrell now because those are the kind of photos that Darrell takes. And sure enough, Darrell is now. Anyhow, to see these two guys together taking some portraits, it was pretty great. Warms our hearts. It's time for our Polaroid Fact of the Week segment. Fact of the Week! So you predict that Disney will own Polaroid by 2040. Now, I have some opinions on this too, but give us the facts first to back this whole thing up. Are you going to buy it up? Alright, so here it goes. In 1988, this dude named Stanley Gold, he runs Shamrock Investments for Disney. I think in the 80s, Disney owned 8% of Polaroid as it was, right? So like they were already somewhat invested in Polaroid to begin well, They with. were already getting their fingers in there. They, had their, uh, they were getting their hands in the warm mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving. Uh, oh, so what did they try to do in 88? They attempted to buy Polaroid with an offer of just over two billion dollars. Two billion dollars? They said no. Nope. They Denied. said no. And Stanley still tried for an entire year. In the end, his ultimate offer ended would have put the company at three billion dollars. 
They still end up saying no. It was really cool. At the end of it, instead, Polaroid ended up establishing an employee stock ownership plan, and they used his over-appraisal of the company as leverage to then benefit their employees. So it was a really, really cool move on Polaroid's part. The company itself was always focused on taking care of its own, taking care of its members, everyone from the production line to the engineers. Bullard really looked after its own. And I feel like this move was very strong in that. And if you'd like to know more about Polaroid's history, you can check out Instant, The Story of Polaroid by Christopher Bonanos. Oh, wait, so why do you think Disney's going to take over in 2040? That was in the 80s. Yep, so it's 30 years later, and Disney still has its grubby little paws all over Polaroid. Because what edition frames just came out from Polaroid? The Mandalorian. Star Wars. Hmm, who just bought Star Wars? Ah. Mm, Disney. Mm, nobody ever thought that George Lucas would sell Star Wars in a million years. I did think it was curious this week that Polaroid was sharing a Mandalorian frame shot. And although, yes, it does promote their product, they were specifically uh, promoting the new Mandalorian season that was going to be on Disney Plus that I think just came out this past week. So there's that cross-promotional going on. I mean, I'm sure there's a contract of some sort, but yeah, Disney's still in the picture. And for our final segment of the show, it's our weekly focus on, during which time Alex and I share a little bit about what we've been doing with our own Polaroid photography. And lives in general. And lives in general. We voted. We that did vote today. It so, was my first time voting ever. I'm 31 years old. It's never too late. So glad we did that together. Thank you for that. Brave mm -hmm. new things. In regards to photography and Polaroid, what has been your focus on this week? For this last week of October, and I'm sure into much of November and the rest of the year, because I've been having fun not judging myself doing it, has been more collage work to where I have been utilizing my Polaroid Mint pocket printer and the uh, zinc photo stickers. I have been having a lot of fun uh, getting into this and they'll be shared soon here. Um, so with Polaroid, that has been my new medium that I've been working with and getting more familiar and comfortable with. It has been a lot of fun. I think it's a really creative use of the Polaroid or the pocket printer. Before, we were mostly just taking pictures off of our phone and printing them using the printer and it looked like it had the nice little Polaroid border and it was cute and it was fun. Like I put stickers in the back of my phone, but... It's been very novelty for the last year. Yeah, and I think that you have found such a unique use for that to implement them for collage work on your Polaroids. Yeah, so basically if I take a photo that I don't care for or have a dud that I want to just create anything out of, I've been utilizing the printer and cutting up stickers and anything out of a magazine or whatever it is and using a glue stick or glue or tape and um, just using it with Polaroid. And yeah, it's been really uh, cool to 
use stickers to relate to a photo or to bring in a, a new aspect to the photo that maybe you aren't able to capture, just like you would if you were to use a marker to draw on a photo. If you didn't capture the flower, then instead you stitched a flower in or you drew a flower where it didn't you know, happen to be. And that's what I've been doing with my art this weekend. So it's been giving me a chance to breathe new life into my quote-unquote mistakes or failures. This week, you haven't mentioned it yet, but you took a different mistake and turned it into something new. And I was so proud of you because what you did, oh, I just think it took a lot of bravery. And I'd rather turn that over to you to explain. Can you tell everyone about your beer can photo? My best friend Dave and I were going out for a coffee by the river. I had my Polaroid camera and I started to just wander around. And as I was feeling like a little kid, and, and as I crossed over the river, I noticed a submerged Modelo beer can. I instantly just had thought of Walker Evans and my alcoholism at the same time. I then used those two subjects, and I combined them with my creativity and chose then to turn that moment into art. And upon looking at the photo, it was blurred because I had got too close. I've always been okay with, with making that mistake. If something doesn't turn out right, before I even take the photo, I always make sure I'm okay with it not turning out. I was okay with it, um, and I just set it on the table. I then made the brave decision, with your help as well, honey, to then take a failed photo of a subject that I struggle with every day and then turn that into an opportunity to practice another form of art that I am also very fearful of, which is emulsionless, because I have failed numerous times at emulsionless after a lot of patience and diligence with them. And anyone who has done one and failed at one knows what I'm talking about. So I chose to do an emulsion lift with that photo and it actually ended up turning out pretty cool. I love the way it looks because although the photo was blurry, since you made it an emulsion lift, it already looks blurry anyway because of the nature of emulsion lifts, so you can't really tell that it was blurry to begin with. And then the blue tones of the water, which even when you took the photo, that was one thing you were very proud of. You were very proud of the way the water looked and how beautiful the blue was. Thank you for the reminder, because I make myself forget those things. And I think that was one of the most exciting parts when you transferred it over onto our final canvas was to see the blues that transferred with the photo because you had done such a complete lift and you maintained all of the colors. You didn't have any holes or things poke through. So you captured and transferred that beautiful blue water nicely, sweetheart. So that in itself just represented me being strong and powerful and not drinking and basically just saying, fuck you to alcohol this week. And that has been my focus on. I think it just goes to show that each week can be different and each day can be different. And that's the point.
It's up to us. We can keep it different, or we can make it the same. It's our choice, and nobody else's. So Natalie, what's your focus on this week? My focus on has actually been using the Polaroid camera as an excuse to go do a particular activity. For example, since Halloween was a little different this year, we decided to go Polaroid ghost hunting. And mind you, I'm a huge scary cat. So really doing anything actually spooky on Halloween, I don't think so. It's not going to happen. We didn't even watch a scary movie, and I'm really glad we didn't. The little vampire was perfect. Using the camera as a reason to go out and do something in a different form of celebration, that was new, and I really enjoyed that. Um, rather than, I think in the past, it would have been, oh, it's Halloween on a Saturday, let's go to a party. Waking up on Halloween morning, catching the bus to go to a local house with a lot of history, not even just in regards to the murder that may have happened in the basement, but the architecture itself was something really cool to see. So it was kind of nerdy, maybe a little scary. I actually kind of did get a little scared to actually go to this place. Um, I really don't mess with ghosts or anything like that. Um, so to go was already brave, and I feel like I got to use Polaroid as an opportunity to be brave. So while I may not have done a particular technique as my focus on, I think it was using my relationship with my camera in a different way. And I really enjoyed that. Although I will say the photo that I did take of the Soden house, I did on duochrome film, which I had mentioned a few weeks ago that was part of my Halloween goal, was to continue taking more sinister, scary shots with that yellow and black film. And I do think the house looks really good. Mission accomplished. Yes, so we definitely did two photos. Alex took a photo um, on color film, and then I did mine on duochrome. And it was really good to see the contrast between the two. In fact, Alex even did one of his sticker collages using his photo. But if you do a little research on the Soden house and this murder that may have happened in particular, the murder itself is pretty gruesome. So we didn't include that photo on any of our posts, but it's really cool that we were able to express our learning and understanding of the area around us and of incidents that have occurred in such a way. And to know that we're not making these pieces of art for others necessarily to always see, that sometimes it's just for us to get something out and to talk about it. And that's my takeaway from this week. Polaroid and coping just really do seem to go hand in hand together, especially emotional coping when it comes to me and many others. A day is a capture. Sometimes you're really happy and sometimes you're overexposed. Some days you're just not feeling it. Either way, Polaroid can help. Polaroid can help to translate, process, and express emotions being experienced. And that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with more Instant Community News next Monday, November 9th. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us, especially on Apple Podcasts. Your positive feedback will help our podcast grow. As always, we love hearing from you. So drop us a message and interact with us on Instagram at Passion Through Polaroids. If you haven't had enough spookiness for Halloween and you would like to see that rather scary Polaroid we were discussing earlier, message us and we may DM it to you.
It is pretty creepy. I don't know if you want it in your inbox, but if you do, we'll send it to you. Viewer beware. Do you have a happy joke so that we don't end the episode with me thinking about something so scary as the photo collage? Sure, just let me grab my friend. Hey, Christopher! Christopher Walken, come here! Oh yeah, why uh, why did Santa Claus have, have three gardens? Because he liked to ho, ho, ho. Thanks, Christopher Walken, you're the best. Anytime. Ah, I should have guessed this. We woke up with Christmas music this morning. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go. Alright, bye guys! I love you, honey. Thank you, sweetheart.